0: This is uh, Dr. Pedro Ramirez, editor in chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer, and today I have the great pleasure of speaking with Dr. Lily Lin, who is an associate professor in the Division of Radiation Oncology, Department of Radiation Oncology, at the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. Welcome, Lily.
1: Thank you so much, Pedro. And, and first of all, um, I want to thank you and.
0: Editorial team for highlighting our review as the article of the month. Well, of course. I mean, this is uh, a really a very impacting uh, review. Very well written. We're extremely proud of uh, of having this in the in the journal. And um, the review is titled "Combining Novel Agents with Radiotherapy for Gynecologic Malignancies Beyond the Era of uh, Cisplatinum." So, great title, and certainly a uh, lots to discuss. So. I wanted to first, Lily, start by having you please putting in perspective as to why we should consider novel agents other than standard chemotherapy, you know, as we move forward with the options for radiotherapy in patients with uh, gynecological cancers.
1: Yeah, so this is a a great way to sort of start out. I mean, as you know, and and I'm sure your readership knows, that concurrent platinum-based chemotherapy has really been the standard of care since... 1999 when the NCI came out with their alert stating that, um, that this is a standard after multiple randomized studies had noted an overall survival benefit with concurrent platinum-based chemo with radiation over just radiation alone. But really, you know, in the last 20 years, we have unfortunately not really moved beyond concurrent cisplatin as a systemic agent when we, we give radiation for cervical cancer and other gynecologic cancers. And from the radiation standpoint, although we have made, we've made advances in terms of increased conformality of delivery of both external radiation as well as brachytherapy in the meantime. And while concurrent cisplatin has really helped us shift those survival curves, we know that you know despite our best efforts, those patients you know, with a very advanced 5 by- stage disease, up to 30 to 50 percent of them may recur and die. And if they recur outside of the central pelvis in patients who've had prior radiation, you know, unfortunately the likelihood of curing them is, is really rare. So, you know, given the large number of novel agents out there, there is significant interest in, te- in testing, you know, potential combinations with standard chemoradiation while they're also being tested in the metastatic setting and including, for example, like immunotherapy.
0: So that's, uh, and, you know, and there's a lot of things that are that are covered in this, uh, in this review. So I wanted to just begin with uh, immunotherapy. Obviously there's so much now, um, that we hear about with regards to the impact of immunotherapy in gynecological uh, cancers. So let's begin with immunotherapy and its potential use in conjunction with, uh, radiotherapy. And, and what, you know, what are the proposed mechanisms for the synergy between radiation and immunotherapy?
1: Give uh, you a little bit of background about just how radiation works. Is that historically, we think that we know that radiation induces cell death through a variety of mechanisms, including like necrosis, ap- apoptosis, and mitotic catastrophe. And in general, these are usually precipitated by some sort of genomic instability caused by the radiation directly affecting um, DNA. You know, usually this is like single-strand DNA breaks, but also Double strand DNA breaks, and then we also know that there can be indirect DNA damage through the generation of these free radicals. So, when we talk about how radiation works, we typically refer to that mechanism. However, in addition to these sort of direct cytotoxic effects, we also know that radiation, particularly like this hypofractionated radiotherapy, which is large fractions um, or large doses per fraction of radiation, can induce tumor antigens, or these sort of, or danger molecules, and as a result, these tumor antigens then can then be cross-presented by dendritic cells, and we've also observed some, observed increased secretion of, like, lymphocytes stimulating cytokines and chemokines, so that's kind of how we think of um, the synergy.
0: I see. And uh, under the, the title of immunotherapy, you, you begin by talking about, obviously, the, the checkpoint blockade. Um, can you tell us about, obviously, this is a novel strategy and using this approach in conjunction with radiation therapy?
1: So there are two potential avenues to combine immunotherapy with radiation. And this is not just um, restricted towards gynecologic cancers, but first is with kind of standard fractionated radiation in the definitive setting we can combine, you know, add immunotherapy or that's being tested currently. And the second is combining immunotherapy with stereotactic radiotherapy, or again, those hypofractionated large doses of radiation in, in just a few fractions in the metastatic setting. And the mechanism or the thought behind, you know, why these combinations may work is, is different for each of those. So When we think about hypofractionated radiation and immunotherapy, the proposed mechanism is that you know with these large doses of radiation, you're releasing, you're giving out this sort of tumor antigen burst, and then these tumor antigens are get are taken up by antigen-presenting cells, which then travel to regional lymph nodes to present to um, to present the tumor antigens to the cytotoxic T cells. And then those activated T cells then hone to both the initial site of, di- of disease, but also to other metastatic sites to elicit what we call an abscopal response, or a response outside of the radiation field. Mm-hmm. And through this, it induces kind of immunogenic cell death, which is different than the mitotic cell death that we typically observe with standard fractionated radiation. So that's sort of one mechanism. The second mechanism that we could potentially combine immunotherapy and radiation is in the definitive setting. So for a patient with a locally advanced cervical cancer, the optimal time to add systemic agent would be after they finish chemo radiation and mm-hmm. their, their metastatic disease remains sort of very limited. And this is what was done in the Pacific study. So the Pacific study was a study actually in non-small cell lung cancer where patients with locally advanced disease received a standard of care, which was chemo radiation, and then were randomized to either Dervalimab or placebo f- for 12 months. And they showed both an, a progression-free as well as an overall survival advantage to Dervalimab. So there are studies now looking at combining immunotherapy both concurrent with chemoradiation or adjuvantly mm-hmm. after chemoradiation. And the rationale is that with under chemo radiation, there's observation that there's upregulation of PD1, and that maybe the addition of uh, PD1 or PDL1 inhibitor could act as an immune primer.
0: I see. And, and, um, and you talk a little bit about the, some of the uses, particularly in, in studies in cervical cancer. You talked about a CTLA4 inhibitor, IPI, ipilimumab, uh, being used today uh, together with radiation therapy. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about that, and particularly has there been anything promising in cervical cancer going down that route?
1: Sure. So actually epilomivab was the first CTLA-4 inhibitor that was approved for use um, back in 2011, and that was for, I believe, melanoma in the metastatic setting. And the first case report of the abscopal effect, again that's sort of a a reduction of tumor outside of the radiation field Mm -hmm. combined with, hypofractionated radiation, was reported in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2012, and it was by, a, by a, the group at Memorial Sloan-Tettering in a case report. But there have also been other anecdotal reports as well. And so as a result of that, there was a really keen interest in potentially combining ipilimumab and radiation in the metastatic setting, but also potentially in the upfront setting with radiation. Now, unfortunately, there was a study... A, of ipilimumab monotherapy for patients with cervical cancer, which was not, didn't show very promising results. So we haven't necessarily combined ipilimumab and radiation in the metastatic setting. Although the NRG did complete a phase one study of ipilimumab after chemoradiation for locally advanced node positive cervical cancer that was led by Josie Mm Myadev. And that came out I think last year in JAMA Oncology. And showed that the regimen was, was pretty tolerable, uh, but what was interesting to note was they did some translational studies and did note that there was um, upregulation of PD PD one uh, mm-hmm. with chemo radiation, so suggesting that there might be a, a role for immunotherapy combined with chemo radiation.
0: And now going on to the the PD L one inhibitors, obviously, um, particularly a lot of excitement about that and. Uh, in cervical cancer, can you tell us about the results of the, um, of the I believe it was the Checkmate 358 uh, study where they looked at uh, NEVO uh, and HPV associated gynecologic cancers?
1: Sure. So, Checkmate thir- 358 was a multi center, multi cohort study of nivolumab for metastatic, virally mediated gynecologic cancers, which included cervical, vaginal, or vulvar cancer. And their initial publication came out last fall, and it included, like, 24 patients that had cervical cancer and a handful of other patients that had vulvar or vaginal cancer. And their results were pretty promising, with an objective response rate of about 26% for the patients with cervical cancer and a little bit less for the patients that had vulvar and vaginal cancers. And, and what was pretty interesting, though, too, was it was independent of pdl one status think those results are pretty good when you think about second line, what the second line chemotherapy response rates are for for this disease. And additionally, I think what is really exciting though is that it can, I think Checkmate 358 continues to accrue patients and it has multiple cohorts. They presented at ESMO last fall their cohort of nivolumab and ipilimumab and that enrolled just under I think 100 patients. Some of them had had uh, no prior systemic lines of therapy. Others had one or two lines of prior chemotherapy. Uh, they, they looked at two different schedules of ipilimumab and nivolumab, and regardless of which schedule, now there was one schedule that was a little bit more promising than the other. And overall, the most promising results showed an objective response rate of close to 50% in those patients who had not received any prior systemic therapy and 36% in those who had received some be interesting to see, you know, what will
0: come out of that study. And, uh, and, Lily, are there any additional uh, ongoing studies with uh, nivolumab and um, with concurrent radiation in locally advanced cervical cancer?
1: Sure. So, I don't think there are any any um, reports out yet, but there are a, some ongoing studies. So, there's a the NICOL study, which is being tested at... France at the Institute Curie. So that in that study, patients in the upfront setting received concurrent weekly cisplatin, and which is followed by adjuvant nivolumab for six months.
0: Mm.
1: And there's a, I think, a larger study in, with durvalumab, pdl one inhibitor, with chemo radiation uh, concurrently, and then followed by adjuvant durvalumab for I think 24 months versus just standard chemo radiation. So there are definitely ongoing studies testing pd one or PD-1 inhibitors in the um, in the upfront locally advanced
0: setting. I see, and no results on those yet.
1: No results yet.
0: Okay. Um, and are there any studies evaluating um, pembrolizumab in conjunction with uh, radiation and gynecologic cancers?
1: So pembrolizumab was the first PD-1 inhibitor approved in the setting in the metastatic setting for cervical cancer after failing platinum chemotherapy. And it's also approved for MSI pi tumors for which endometrial cancers and other gynecologic cancers could could fall into this category too. Um, but it is reserved for those patients with metastatic cervical cancer who have pdl one positive tumors, which is important to note. There Similar to studies with NEVO and Derva, there is a randomized phase two study of PEMBRO, either concurrent with chemo radiation for locally advanced cervical cancer or delivered after chemo radiation. Um, I think both for about three cycles. And this one's in an investigator-initiated study that's being conducted here within the US. Mm-hmm. Additionally, you know, because it was one of the very first immunotherapy drugs to be approved, there was also great interest in testing hypofractionated radiation and pembrolizumab in the metastatic setting to see if we could generate this sort of abscopal response.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And for that, there is a study being 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 conducted in Europe called the PRIMO study that does combine hypofractionated radiation with pembrolizumab for that. And so it'll be interesting to see what their
0: results show. Yeah, so a lot of things in the works right now. Um, Lily, I was wondering if you can tell us a little bit about the optimal timing the dosing and the fractionation schedules for radiation therapy when you're using it in conjunction with immunotherapy?
1: So, I mean, this area is still a a bit of a black box. Um, All of those are still open questions that we don't have the definitive answers to if we consider using radiation with immunotherapy in the metastatic setting. Now, there are reports that there probably is a top-level dose per fraction, where if you go beyond that dose, we don't seem to see the sort of immunogenicity that we want to see, so maybe above fractions of 20 to 24 gray and, and, like, a single dose to a metastatic site. It seems like the optimal fractionation dose per fraction might be somewhere between, like, 6 to 8 gray and 3 to 5 fractions, and this is based on preclinical in vivo data as well. Now, um also now you asked about the, the, the timing as well, and and it's not clear if we should be doing the radiation before immunotherapy or the radiation just after immunotherapy, and it should be done, you know, day one, day two, or day one, day seven. So mm-hmm. um, lots of questions when it still comes to that, and
0: yeah. Yeah, so still being uh, evaluated. Um, uh, now wondering about obviously uh, PARP inhibitors, uh, and uh, is there any? data to support using PARP inhibitors in conjunction with radiation therapy, and particularly in gynecologic cancer, that looks promising at all.
1: Yeah, so uh, I personally think it's promising, and that might be because I'm biased, because I I do um, just, just throw that out there, too. We do have a investigator initiated study here that was just opened a couple of months ago that I lead. <laughs> but most of the data, you know, on combining... PARP inhibitors or DDR inhibitors with radiation have been done really in the preclinical setting uh, and in limited solid tumors. So there have been a few clinical trials that have have reported out some preliminary toxicity combining PARP inhibitors with radiation, including using valiparib and olaparib. And these studies were were done in breast cancer and head and neck cancers. But I think what overall the take-home is that there is a high degree of radio sensitization even at very, very low doses of PARP mm-hmm. inhibitors. So we have to be really careful um, and cautious about how we, how we combine the two. And, you know, there may be um, a greater potency with some PARP inhibitors than in others. Um, the, PARP, the study that we've opened here is using the PARP inhibitor, inhibitor talazoparib, which is perhaps one of the more potent of the PARP classes. And uh, current with radiation, standard fractionated radiation for patients with relapsed gynecologic cancers that are confined to either the pelvis or the abdomen.
0: And then your your trial is it uh, just recently open or is it about to complete?
1: It just opened. Actually, we have not even enrolled our first patient now, and and we may not be able to get our first one for a few months, but we're we're very excited. So it is open. It is active.
0: Perfect, yeah. So tell me now about um, we one inhibitors and their anti-tumor potential when used in conjunction with uh, radiation therapy.
1: So we one is a tyrosine kinase that regulates cell cycle progression, um, inhibits CK CDK2 during the S phase and CDK1 at the G2M checkpoint. Now, both of both of which may contribute to repair DNA, and thus mitotic cell death. And so as a result, because of its mechanism of action, it it maybe makes sense to combine it with radiation to synergistically inhibit DNA damage um, repair. And currently, there is a phase one study of cisplatinum and adavoceratib, which is a B1 inhibitor combined with fractionated radiation for cervical, upper vaginal, and uterine cancer. And that, I believe, is run throughout, run through the NCI, Early Clinical Trials Group. And so nothing to report yet from that study.
0: Okay. So now in your review, you, you do mention a number of other types of novel agents. And I was wondering if I can ask you to just kind of like briefly go over some of the details or the data um, that we have so far. You mentioned antiretroviral protease inhibitors. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the use of these?
1: Sure. Um, and this is perhaps one of the most interesting ones to me. Again, it's I'm a little bit biased. Um, so I, I used to be at the University of Pennsylvania, and former colleagues there, led by Anjali Gupta, who Moved to the University of Iowa many years ago, Mm -hmm. she and others made the observation that HIV-1 protease inhibitors could potentially be repurposed as radiosensitizers. And her their initial observation came um, as patients who are on protease inhibitors have a high degree or higher higher risk of diabetes due to insulin resistance. And so they studied the potential mechanism in vivo and vitro and found that it could inhibit phospho-AKT, and they showed that it could radiosensitize head and neck cancer cells in vitro, which they they then confirmed in vivo studies as well. Hmm. So about a decade ago, when I was still at Penn, several of of us opened clinical trials in a variety of different disease sites in glioblastoma and non-small cell lung cancer, and some colleagues that had moved over to the UK had opened studies in like rectal cancer and in pancreatic cancer, and I, and Fiona Simpkins, who's a GYN oncologist at, at Penn, um, we opened a study in locally advanced cervical cancer, a phase one study that we completed that we have put a manuscript together, but we haven't got it out there. But the results are, are quite promising. Mm-hmm. I think one of the potential benefits of nilfinivir, and this is a protease inhibitor that, that we've chosen to use, is that this drug has been out there for 20 plus years. So it's been used to treat HIV and we know it's safety, and, you know, it's come off of patent, So potentially a drug that could be given to patients at very low cost, and it's oral, an oral drug. So, you know, in a limited resource setting, I think there could be a you know, great potential if mm-hmm. if depending on our future. Promises,
0: and know, it's called nelfinivir, nil- correct? Nelfinivir, yeah. Okay, exactly. and that was used in conjunction with cisplatinum and radiation in locally advanced. Exactly. I see. Exactly. Um, Now, I was also interested in the, you mentioned some radiosensitizing effects of drugs like metformin.
1: Yeah, so this is another interesting story of like drug repurposing. So, several retrospective observational studies in a variety of different cancers noted that patients that were diabetic who were on metformin compared to diabetics who were not on metformin had superior cancer-free survival or cancer-related outcomes when they when it was given when they were on radiation which spurred i think a lot of groups to look at the potential synergism of metformin and radiation and metformin is also thought to act as a radiosensitizer by indirect inhibition of the PI3 AKT pathway mm-hmm. and also it thought to perhaps reduce tumor hypoxia which we know you know for many years now it's been observed in cervical cancer and contributes So there is currently an ongoing Phase two study of metformin and human radiation, uh, coupled with hypoxia PET imaging in patients with cervical cancer, which I think is a really uh, well-designed study, and it's led by Kathy Hahn at the Princess Margaret Hospital in
0: Toronto. Okay. And that's still ongoing also?
1: That's still ongoing, too,
0: yeah. Okay. And then lastly, I wanted to ask you about um, anti-angiogenic agents, and you mentioned uh, Endostar. Um, Is there anything that looks promising using that agent?
1: inhibits angiogenesis and, you know, through maybe uh, reducing tumor hypoxia can act as a radiation sensitizer. So I don't think there's anything to report now, but there is a uh, ongoing phase 2 study of patients with uh, high-risk early-stage cervical cancer who require post-operative radiation, and I think there's another multi-institutional phase 3 study for women with locally advanced cervical cancer. So, I um, maybe too early to say but a phase two study in locally advanced non-small cell lung cancer did show tolerability with endostar but didn't seem to show an improvement in medium progression free survival beyond standard therapies so it'll be interesting to see what happens in the
0: cervical cancer studies yeah with that story so n- now lily i'm going to ask you uh, uh you know they did the The crystal ball question, uh, where do you think we will be as it pertains to the use of novel agents in conjunction with radiotherapy, let's say, in five years from now?
1: Yeah, so, you know, it's hard to say, right? (laughs) I mean, in radiation, we, we talk very much about, like, widening the therapeutic ratio, and that is, like, shifting the normal tissue complication curve to the right and the cancer control probability curve to the left. And I think to believe, like, in the next five years, we would have agents that, when we combine it with radiation, could widen that window for our patients. And, you know, I think potentially the most promising overall are probably the immunotherapeutic agents, given their success in lots of other solid tumors. But also maybe, you know, DDR inhibitors as potential radio sensitizers uh, look really interesting. And as we focus on value in oncology, we shouldn't...
0: Overlook drug repurposing, too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Lily, this has been absolutely a, a pleasure. And, and, and again, I mean, your review article was uh, really fun to read. I learned a tremendous amount. Uh, are there any uh, closing remarks you would like to make? Yeah, first of all, I want to
1: thank you again for you know, inviting me to do this podcast. Um, you know, we are in, as oncologists, you know, it's a really exciting era to be in because there is a tremendous pipeline of novel agents to improve outcomes in our patients with gynecologic cancers. And as a radiation oncologist, we have to be really thoughtful about how we combine these agents and which agents to choose. Um, we, want, we don't want to be in a situation where we add an agent to standard chemoradiation and, and patients end up with increased toxicity that results in delays in their curative therapy. That is... Know, them getting their cisplatinum and radiation, and this is something that was unfortunately observed when we added gemcitabine to cisplatinum and radiation um, in, in one of those large multinational studies mm-hmm. that was done, and so we have to look at the results and combinations that have worked in other disease sites where chemo radiation uh, is the standard of care, for instance, like a in head and neck or non-small cell lung cancer, for example, to help help guide us, and, and, and so that... I think it's a really exciting time. And, and just one other note is that one thing that was really beyond the scope of our review was a focus on biomarkers and patient selection. Mm-hmm. Um, some of these novel agents that, that are out there we may find are better in some tumors than in others And identifying the right biomarkers to guide patient selection you know, was, will be re- critical to you know shifting those curves.
0: Well, Lily, thank you so, so much. Uh, this really has been, uh, uh, again, uh, really informative. I want to thank you for your time and for your contribution and, and your great work. Thank you so
1: much.